Chapter 7 Control Fear To stand up in front of a group of people and communicate with them is an opportunity. Yet for many speakers, the very thought fills them with fear and dread rather than excitement and eager anticipation. What is it about addressing an audience of ten or more people that can turn otherwise competent adults into such flustered souls? Nervousness is a symptom of a heightened sensitivity which is needed to perform well. Except that some nervousness will actually help you perform better. There is no magic pill that will instantly dispel the symptoms of nervousness, but the 13 secrets that follow, taken together, should significantly lessen your feelings of anxiety when you present a speech. 65. Solid preparation is your best defense. There is no substitute for being well prepared. The process starts with giving yourself adequate time for preparation and thoroughly completing each step in the speech writing process. From gathering data, selecting the main ideas and supporting materials, formulating an introduction and conclusion, preparing your notes or manuscript, to practicing, talking through your speech, each step takes time. If you procrastinate and wait until the night before your speech to begin to prepare, you limit both your effectiveness and your self-confidence. The normal level of nervousness now increases as you realize you've blown your opportunity. How much better your speech will be and how much better you will feel if you have taken the time to prepare and digest your material at each step along the way to actually delivering your presentation. Few things are as great a confidence builder as you approach the lectern on the day of your speech as knowing you are prepared. 66. Be totally familiar with your introduction. Most speakers find they are most nervous immediately prior to and during the first minute of their speeches. Be especially familiar with the introduction of your speech. Once you have gotten through the first minute or two of your speech, you will probably begin to feel more comfortable and confident, especially if this has gone well. 67. Practice out loud often. Talk through your speech as many times as you can. Stand up as you deliver your practice presentations and try to approximate those conditions you can control to make them close to what you will encounter in the actual situation. As you practice, the most important thing is that you actually talk through the speech. How many people, if any, are listening is not important. You may have no one in your practice audience, or you may speak in front of your child, your spouse, or a friend. If no one is readily available to pose as an audience for your practice sessions, I often suggest that speakers talk to a clock. It has a face, it may show more movement than some listeners, and it provides an opportunity to time your speech. If you plan to present an extemporaneous speech, practice establishing as much eye contact as possible with the area where the audience will be seated during your actual presentation. Talk to this audience area, sweeping the room with your eyes, stopping to establish eye contact with various items in the room, as you will establish eye contact with listeners during your actual presentation. 
as you near the end of your comments about the point you are making, but before you actually finish the thought you are on, look at your notes to determine the next point you will cover. Look back at your audience as you complete your present thought, and then transition smoothly to your next point. During your practice sessions, you will be able to determine whether your notes are sufficient to trigger each idea in your mind as you talk through your speech. If you have too many notes, which is likely, pare them down. Remember, the fewer notes you take to the lectern, the better, as long as the notes are sufficient to trigger the ideas you want to present. If your notes are too few, add what you need at the appropriate place. If you have prepared a manuscript speech, you too need to talk through the speech out loud. Learn to pace at a comfortable rate for your listeners. Become so familiar with your speech that you can establish frequent eye contact with your listeners. Become familiar with where ideas fall on the page and make use of red pens to underline or highlight ideas you want to stress. No matter what your delivery format, use these practice sessions to gain confidence by gaining familiarity with your material and the notes or manuscript you've constructed. Be sure you can pronounce all words you may use and time your speech to assure that you will be within the time limits. 68. Record your speech. Practice talking through your speech a few times before you record it. After you have talked through your speech a few times, videotape a practice session if you can, but if videotaping is not readily accessible, an audio tape can yield a lot of information. Watch or listen to your tape and make notes of things you want to modify. Practice a few more times without taping, trying to incorporate changes in the areas you wanted to modify. Then record yourself again. You should notice improvements in the targeted areas. Don't allow your internal critic to batter your self-image. None of us is ever satisfied with how we see or hear ourselves. Allow your internal coach to take over as you view or listen to the tapes. Your internal coach will help you identify what you can modify in order to make a better presentation. These positive attempts at behavior modification are what is needed as you refine and polish your presentation. 69. Practice mentally. Although practice by delivering your speech out loud is important, you can supplement these practice sessions by talking through the speech silently to yourself. If you have a few minutes during your lunch break or while riding the bus or train to work, it is possible to look at your notes and as you focus on each trigger on your notes, mentally think through the points you wish to make. 70. Focus on ideas, not exact phrases. If you have selected an extemporaneous delivery, remember as you practice, as well as when you actually deliver the speech, that you are not trying to say the same thing in the same way each time you present it. That would be memorization. Your goal is to use your notes to trigger in your mind the ideas you want to present in the order you have predetermined. Once that idea has been triggered, try to convey the idea to your listeners in the words that come to you. You may find you use some phrases almost each and every time you talk through your speech, but other ideas may be phrased somewhat differently from one practice to another. This is as it should be. 
Don't feel bound by one way of communicating an idea. Let go of the idea that you have to say the same thing in the same way each time. If you will do this, you need never be afraid of forgetting your speech. There's nothing to forget. Your notes will trigger in your mind the ideas you have selected to present. Since it is the ideas and not an exact way of phrasing them that you wish to convey, go with what comes to your mind at the time. 71. Concentrate on your message rather than on yourself. Concentrate on your message and your goal to convey that message to your listeners. Put all of your energy into this mission and you will not have time to think about yourself. It is easier said than done, but it is a powerful secret of effective speakers. Nervousness comes in part from focusing one's attention on the internal question, how am I doing? If your focus is on yourself and how you are doing, how you look, how you sound, what the audience thinks about you, your energy is misplaced. Focus instead on your message. You believe in it. You believe it is important to your listeners. Put your focus where it should be, on your message and your listeners, and before you know it, you will realize you don't feel nervous. 72. Nervousness connects you to the human race. Everyone experiences some nervousness making presentations. The difference is one of degree. The degree of apprehension varies according to many factors. Individual personality, amount of preparation, and amount of public speaking experience account for the most variation of nervousness among speakers. Knowing that feeling some degree of nervousness is common to everyone should help you accept these feelings as a normal part of being human. Recognize, too, that you are in good company. Many famous and accomplished individuals, from U.S. presidents to award-winning actors and actresses, admit to always having experienced some degree of apprehension prior to going before an audience. Helen Hayes, Johnny Carson, Carol Burnett, Merv Griffin, Joan Rivers, Liza Minnelli, Sidney Poitier, and Christopher Reeves have all talked publicly about their continuing efforts to deal with nervousness. So you get nervous before presenting a speech? You're in good company. 73. Remember, you appear much more confident than you feel. So your hands are shaking and your knees wobbling and you are sure your audience can see it. You can feel your voice trembling and you are certain your listeners can hear it. You are terrified and your audience can't help but be aware of it. Probably not. Time after time, participants in my seminars sit down at the end of their speech, breathe a sigh of relief, and say how nervous they were. They're sure we are all aware of it, even sitting there feeling sorry for them as we listened, because we, the audience, were so acutely aware of their nervousness. The truth? Almost always, their delivery showed no overt signs of the nervousness they felt. Even when they have shared with the rest of the group for three days how nervous they get when making a presentation, usually the only clue we have is their protestations to that fact. Even when we, the other participants, as well as myself, tell them how self-assured and professional they appeared, they assure us how nervous they felt. Do we believe them? Of course we do. But what they need to understand is that what they are feeling does not show. 
It is not apparent to the audience. If they did not tell us, we would not know. Most of us have learned to hide our feelings of nervousness and are quite good at it. Even after they've seen their presentations on videotape, they still try to convince us that they really did feel nervous. So remember, for most speakers, the nervousness that you feel will not show. Let this knowledge build your confidence. And since you want your presentation to be as professional and polished as possible, don't spoil your secret by telling everyone either before or after your speech how nervous you felt. Accept compliments graciously. 74. Breathe deeply from your diaphragm. Any of you who have played a wind instrument or sung in a choir will know about your diaphragm and how to breathe from your diaphragm. For those of you who do not, take one of your hands and make a fist. Center that fist at your midsection with the thumb at or slightly below your navel. Hold your fist still and try to thrust your fist outward using outward pressure from the muscle you should find behind or slightly below your navel. A deep breath that starts from the diaphragm will counter some of the feelings of nervousness being produced by the increased adrenaline. A deep breath before you leave your seat, another as you approach the lectern, and yet another just before you begin to speak will have a calming effect. 75. Channel your adrenaline. Increased adrenaline is your body's defense mechanism to help you in difficult situations. Even though it may seem to be your enemy in the 20th century, adrenaline can be your ally. Rather than fight it, put that extra energy that is created into your presentation. Use the adrenaline rush to generate and sustain the enthusiasm that will make you a dynamic speaker. That adrenaline will also keep you alert and heighten your ability to think on your feet. Effective speakers are dynamic speakers. Just ask Michael Dukakis or Bob Dole what a lack of dynamism can do to thwart reaching one's goal. 76. Dress for the occasion. Dress to build confidence. Before you ever open your mouth to speak, your listeners have already begun to form impressions about you. Whether you are competent, whether you are trustworthy, whether you are likable, before you say a word, these impressions are being formed. Like it or not, initially others do judge us based on our appearance. So select your attire based in part on the messages you wish to convey to your audience. Is it your goal to appear authoritative and powerful? Trustworthy? Likeable? In some situations, your primary goal will be to convey nonverbal messages that say you are competent and in control. Your goal when selecting your attire will be to choose clothing that enhances your look of expertise, authority, and power to the maximum. If you are a male, your most powerful look is a suit, a dark gray or a dark blue paired with a white long-sleeved shirt and a tie. If you are female, a suit is also your most powerful look, and traditional colors of dark gray or navy work best. Perhaps you are as concerned with how trustworthy you appear to your listeners. Speakers, both men and women, will find a medium blue or navy suit paired with a white shirt or blouse will enhance the degree of trust felt by their audience.
In other situations, you may choose to de-emphasize a look of power so as to appear less powerful or intimidating to an audience. A man may elect to wear a suit in a color that conveys less authority, or may choose slacks, sport coat, and tie. Either option says professional, but less powerful. A woman may select a suit in colors that convey less power, or wear a base of the one color, a navy skirt and blouse, with a jacket in either a contrasting color or a plaid that picks up the color of the base. Whatever your apparel decisions, analyze your choices and your reasons carefully. You've spent a lot of time preparing your speech. Select attire that conveys nonverbal messages that further your goal. As you analyze the speaking situation, did you consider physical elements of the place where you will present your speech? Will you be on a stage? Will bright lights be focused on you? Will you be speaking in a dimly lit room or auditorium? Will you be behind a lectern? If you speak in a dimly lit room, a dark suit may need a light or bright accent in the necktie or scarf to bring you to life. Some women report choosing to wear a red suit or jacket when presenting a speech because they believe the color helps keep listeners' attention focused on them. However, if you will be bathed in bright lighting, you might choose to tone down a red jacket or accessories. If you will be on a high platform or stage, and especially if there's no lectern, be very careful about the length of your skirt. By dressing to fit the occasion and your goals, you will build your self-confidence. Knowing you look the part will help you act the part of a confident, poised presenter. Effective speakers earn audience goodwill and trust and are viewed as having expertise based initially on how they look. The speaker can then build on this positive start with a well-prepared and focused message. 77. Psych yourself into readiness. Do you remember the song from The King and I, where Anna counsels her son to whistle a happy tune? She tells him if he'll whistle whenever he feels afraid, he'll not only fool others, he'll fool himself as well. Psychologists tell us that our minds can only hold one thought at a time. Are you going to let your internal critic take over and hold thoughts of fear and failure in your mind? Or will you allow your internal coach to take the lead? and fill your mind with thoughts of confidence and success. Visualize the role you want to play, one of confidence and self-assurance, and act the part. Approach the lectern with a purposeful and confident stride. Stand erect behind the lectern with your head held high and your shoulders square and back straight. Project your voice with an air of confidence. Convey your conviction and enthusiasm in your manner and your voice. These actions form part of the basis for the next section, which deals with commanding the attention of your audience. But these behaviors are equally important to your feelings of self-confidence as you command your body to behave in ways consistent with your goal of appearing as well as being self-assured. Fill your mind with confident, positive thoughts. Carry your body as if you feel confident and positive, and you can manage to both look and feel fearless.
Chapter 8. Command attention. Your demeanor conveys authority. You've heard the adage, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. When you face an audience, make it a positive first impression. Before you say a word, your listeners are forming impressions of you, whether you seem competent, trustworthy, likable. From how you dress, how you approach the lectern, how you project your voice, the audience is making judgments about you based on many nonverbal cues. You begin to command attention as you step up to the lectern with a confident, purposeful demeanor. An enthusiastic walk, head held high with shoulders back and a confident facial expression. You command attention as you stand erect behind the lectern, weight evenly distributed on both feet. You command attention as you look up at your audience and pause before you speak. And when you do speak, you command attention in the way you project your voice and convey dynamism. Let's look at these delivery factors that convey your credibility, competence, and professionalism, and in so doing, command attention from your audience. You want to appear in control, confident, credible, and dynamic. 78. Approach the lectern with confidence. What do you as a listener think when you see a speaker step up to the front of the room with a strong, purposeful stride, shoulders back and head held high, and with a determined, confident demeanor? Contrast that speaker with one who takes small, tentative steps toward the lectern and who walks with shoulders slumped and a fearful expression on his face. You must begin to command attention by the very manner in which you step up to the lectern to present your speech. This is the time to whistle a happy tune, so to speak. Even if your knees feel like jelly, your outward demeanor must convey a confident person who is in control and really anxious to share your message with this audience. The audience will grant far greater credibility and hence attention to the speaker whose demeanor exudes confidence than to the speaker whose body language conveys meekness and a lack of confidence. So leave your seat with a confident, enthusiastic gait, body carriage and facial expression, and step up to the lectern with a purposeful demeanor that conveys your pleasure at the opportunity to address this group. 79. Get set before you speak. Have you ever seen a speaker who began talking before he got to the front of the room, let alone behind the lectern? Or have you observed a speaker who got to the lectern and started speaking as he hastily arranged his notes? These are not the behaviors of polished speakers. If you are using notes or a manuscript, walk to the lectern carrying the papers in the hand that will be least visible to the audience. You're not trying to hide your notes, but neither do you need to flaunt them. When you reach the front of the room, position yourself behind the lectern. Arrange your notes. The pages should already be in proper order. Take a deep breath, look up at your audience, and pause before you begin. When you look up at your audience, it is a signal that you are about to begin. At this point, the audience chatter should diminish, although there will be audible sounds as listeners position themselves in their chairs to give attention to your message. The pause before you speak serves three purposes. First, it gives time for the audience chatter to die down. Second, it gives you a moment to collect your thoughts 
Get your first sentence clear in your head. Take another deep breath if you need one. And remember how glad you are to have this opportunity to present an important message to this audience. Third, the pause is a sign of a polished, confident speaker. 80. Stand erect behind the lectern. Have you ever seen a speaker lean all over the lectern, propping himself up as if without the lectern to hold his weight, he would surely not be able to stand? To lean on the lectern conveys an informality as well as a lack of strength and forcefulness that fails to command attention. As you begin your speech, either stand erect behind the lectern or, if you decide not to use the lectern, move away from it altogether. It is permissible to rest a hand on the side of the lectern closest to you, the speaker, if that makes you feel comfortable. Try not to grasp the lectern and hold on for dear life. Even if the audience cannot see this, you limit the likelihood that you will use that hand in natural gestures. Another danger, if you grasp the lectern, is that you start playing with the lectern. I recall one speaker who, in his nervousness, outlined the lectern with his hands through most of the speech. These hand tracings were an outlet for his nervousness, and the speaker was totally unaware of what he was doing. But the audience was intent on where the hands would move next. Did he have the audience's attention? Yes, but the audience was paying far less attention to what the speaker was saying than what he was doing. This distraction was interfering with communication of the message. Your goal is not to attract attention, but to command attention. Use the lectern to hold your notes, but not to hold you. 81. Distribute your weight evenly on both feet. We have all seen the speaker who teeters from side to side or front to back as he speaks. This, too, can quickly become a distraction to the audience. Standing with your weight evenly distributed on both feet forces you to stand taller and makes you appear in control and hence confident. Your stance gives added weight to the importance of your message and adds strength to your perceived credibility. 82. Project your voice. Speak with authority. You might be surprised how many speakers, both men and women, simply don't project their voice well enough to be easily heard. Yes, there are microphones, but microphones are not always available and often do not work well when they are provided. But even if you use a microphone, you want to come across as confident rather than tentative, so the habit of voice projection is a crucial one to build. You need to project your voice to be heard, to maintain interest, and to be perceived as credible. Beyond being heard, critical though this is, voice projection is necessary to build the credibility of the speaker. The speaker who speaks with a low volume is perceived as having less status, power, expertise, and dynamism than the speaker who projects well. If you are shorter than average, appear youthful, or are female, it especially behooves you to project your voice adequately to establish your credibility and convey your authority from the very beginning of your presentation. Women can project their voices as well as men, so don't buy into the notion that you can't project adequately because you're female. You want the audience to view you as being knowledgeable? You want the audience to view you as an authority? You want the audience to believe you are committed to your cause or view? Project your voice.
83. Convey Dynamism Dynamism is that excitement, that enthusiasm from the speaker that conveys authority as well as conviction to the listeners. Its result puts a sparkle in your eyes, animation on your face, a forcefulness in your voice, and says to your audience, I really believe this, so you should too. Real feelings light up your voice and face. I don't suggest you try to fake enthusiasm, but rather that you select speaking goals you truly believe in, and then let that natural enthusiasm show. If you are a low-key person by nature, it would behoove you to practice displaying a greater degree of facial expression and gestures and projecting greater vocal forcefulness. Avoid what I refer to as the Tsongas, Dukakis, and Dole syndrome. All three were men of vision, experience, and expertise, but their lack of dynamism killed their chance of holding the highest office in the country, President of the United States. 84. Conclude, then leave the lectern with confidence. Your speech isn't really over until you get back in your car to drive home. No exaggerated sighs of relief at the close. No rolling of your eyes as if to say, thank heavens that's over, as you start to walk back to your seat. No hunching of your shoulders as if to suggest the weight of the world has just been lifted. A professional would never do any of these things, and you want to develop into a professional and polished speaker. So take pride in the speech you have just presented. Retain that assured demeanor as you conclude, leave the lectern, and return to your seat, still exuding confidence. If you talk with audience members at the end of the program, don't share with them all the little things that went wrong or demean your presentation in any way. If there were elements of your presentation that you wish had gone better, resolve to work harder on those aspects of your presentation for the next speech. For now, accept graciously any compliments listeners may offer and be ready to answer questions they may have. Chapter 9. Sharpen Your Delivery. If the first thing the audience notices and responds to is the speaker's appearance, the second thing is the speaker's delivery. A speaker who is easy to listen to can attract and maintain listeners' attention. It is a bit like the chicken and egg dilemma, as through the centuries, rhetoricians have debated which is the more important, the speech content or its delivery. Without good delivery, the message gets lost, but without meaningful content, there is no message. But there is little doubt that a speaker with good delivery skills has a much better chance of focusing and maintaining audience attention on the message than does the speaker with poor delivery. 85. Speak clearly. Strive for clear diction and the correct pronunciation of every word you utter. With clear diction and proper pronunciation, your message will be more easily understood by listeners you, the speaker, will be perceived as more credible and powerful. Diction is the production of sounds. Diction may be sloppy and slovenly or crisp and professional. Sloppy diction is exhibited when someone drops the ing sounds at the end of words, such as saying going rather than going, or when one doesn't clearly articulate, such as saying Atlanta rather than Atlanta. 
Sloppy diction creates the impression that the speaker is of a lower level of education, social standing, and position, and hence lowers his credibility in the minds of the listeners. Pronunciation is how you deliver words, where the accent falls, as well as the pronunciation of sounds. Some elements of pronunciation vary with geographical region. In parts of New England, idea becomes idea, or car sounds like car. Know that as you move from one geographical area to another, your speech patterns may be distracting to an audience, or may actually diminish or enhance your credibility. Correct pronunciation means checking the pronunciation of any unfamiliar words, including the names of any places or persons. The wrong pronunciation will make you appear less knowledgeable and informed, and at worst may actually offend listeners. Enhance your polish and professional demeanor. Make a habit of using clear diction in your day-to-day -day communication, and you will carry it automatically into your public speaking. Be sure you know the correct pronunciation, and you will be perceived as a more credible and more powerful speaker. Eighty-six. Vary your pace. Do you have a tendency to speak at one rate throughout your entire speech? When you feel nervous, do you speak rapidly? Do you speak so slowly that people want to finish your sentences for you? Your pace is the rate, how rapidly or slowly, at which you articulate words. Ideally, your speaking rate should be comfortable for your listeners. Too fast, and it is difficult for your listeners to follow your message. It's hard work to keep up with a speaker whose pace is too rapid, and after working at following your meaning for a while, many listeners will begin to daydream. Slow the pace too much, and a speech becomes deadly dull, and you also lose your listeners. To find out if your pace is a comfortable one for listeners, ask a couple of people to listen to you rehearse and ask for honest feedback from them. Alternatively, listen to the tape of your practice session. Strive for a comfortable pace for your listeners, but vary the pace a bit if your speech is a long one. You can slow a bit to emphasize a point. And then pick it back up to that comfortable listening rate. Varying your pace will help keep listeners focused on your message. Eighty-seven, pause often. Don't be afraid of silent pauses. Silent pauses give you, the speaker, a chance to collect your thoughts, both before you begin your speech and throughout your delivery. Silent pauses provide an opportunity for your audience to listen better. To keep up with your message and to process the message, silent pauses should be used after questions are posed to the audience. They give the listeners time to respond to themselves. Pauses can be used as a transition between points, and are an aid when the speaker wishes to provide emphasis for a point. Silent pauses can actually build expectation on the part of the listeners. The speaker needs pauses. Pauses provide an opportunity for the speaker to consider what he will say next, as well as a chance to breathe. The listeners need pauses. Many inexperienced speakers talk too fast and don't pause often enough for the audience to listen comfortably. If a too rapid speaking rate is combined with a lack of pauses, the problem for listeners is intensified. Listeners need pauses, or listening becomes hard work. If one tires of working so hard at listening, they will just tune the speaker out.
88. Limit use of vocalized pauses and fillers. Just as silent pauses are your friend, vocalized pauses are your enemy. A vocalized pause is space the speaker fills with ah uh, or um. A filler refers to filling space with like or you know. Most of us will occasionally use a vocalized pause or a filler. An occasional vocalized pause in an extemporaneous speech is not a problem. It becomes a problem for a speaker when he does it with such frequency that it calls attention to itself. Once listeners become focused on the vocalized pauses, they've lost sight of the message. I have heard speakers make such frequent use of vocalized pauses that audience members started keeping track by making marks on a piece of paper each time the speaker said another, uh... With audience attention focused on how many times the speaker would say, and, uh, the message received scant attention. So how do you know if you sprinkle your speech with too many vocalized pauses? How do you limit their use if you do find you use more than your share of vocalized pauses? First, listen to either a video or audio-recorded tape of your practice speech. You should be able to hear if you excessively engage in vocalized pauses. Second, Ask others to listen to the tape as well. If their assessment is that you could improve your delivery by limiting your use of vocalized pauses and fillers, then try the behavioral modification steps that follow. 1. You identify a behavior you wish to change. In this case, you want to limit vocalized pauses. 2. You make a commitment to yourself to change the behavior. If you are really committed to the change, this process will work for you. But you have to want to change. Just the fact that someone else wants you to change is not enough. Three, you must become aware that you have engaged in the behavior each time you've done it. This happens after the fact, but nonetheless, you must be aware you have done it again. You may wish to enlist the aid of another person to let you know you've done it, perhaps a friend at the office and a spouse at home. This person should gently remind you that you have just said ah again, or whatever the thing is you are doing and wish to change. 4. As time goes by, you will be aware of what you are saying as you are doing it. Because you become aware in the midst of saying it, you will not be able to modify it at this point, but your awareness of the behavior is coming about earlier in your speaking. 5. As more time goes by, you will be aware you are about to say the thing you want to change. At this point, with the earlier awareness, you can modify what you are about to do. For example, pause with silence rather than filling the pause with sound. 6. With more time, the new behavior will have replaced the old and will come as naturally to you as the initial behavior did at one time. You will no longer have to think about what you're doing. It will now be your normal behavior both in one-on-one -on -one situations and public speaking. I have seen these behavior modification steps work wonders with many speakers, allowing them to limit their use of vocalized pauses in both one-to-one -one and public speaking settings. This method is successful at modifying behaviors because the behavior can be worked on in settings where interactions take place on a daily basis. Talking with co-workers at the office, or interacting with a small group of friends at lunch. 
Individuals who use excessive vocalized pauses when delivering speeches also use excessive vocalized pauses as they interact with others on a daily basis. Hence, if a behavior can be modified in daily interactions, it will carry over to the public speaking setting. Effective speakers make frequent use of silent pauses, but limit their use of vocalized pauses. 89. Vary your inflection. The opposite of a speaker with a variety of vocal inflection is one that speaks in a monotone. A presentation delivered in a monotone is flat and uninteresting to listen to. Variety of vocal inflection makes a delivery easier on the audience and results in better attention and understanding. Because a variety of inflection is one component of a dynamic delivery, a variety of inflection will help the speaker be perceived as being more dynamic. This, in turn, enhances the speaker's credibility. 90. Look at everyone frequently. We all know that good eye contact is important for speakers to achieve and maintain. So important, in fact, that you have probably heard people suggest ploys for speakers to use to trick listeners into thinking the speaker is looking at them. A well-intentioned person may tell a novice speaker to look just above the heads of the audience, and the listeners will think the speaker is looking at them. Reject this and all similar advice. To begin with, in all but a large auditorium setting with house lights down and a well-lighted stage, the audience will know immediately if you are looking over their heads rather than at them. You won't fool anyone. Look at your listeners as individuals. After all, that is what they are, rather than as one large aggregate. Let your eyes sweep the room slowly. Let your eyes stop from time to time on various individuals until your eyes actually lock with theirs. Then continue repeating this process until you have connected with more of the listeners. With a small audience of 25 to 30 people, you should be able to make this contact at least once with each member of the audience. With a very large audience, connect with as many of the listeners as you can. You're establishing a bond with your listeners, and they feel you relating directly to each of them. Through your eye contact, your listeners will find it easier to pay attention to your message because they have a connection with the messenger. Your listeners will be more receptive to your persuasive appeals because you've related to them as individuals. You'll be able to note and assess the nonverbal messages from your listeners and adapt your message to what you believe they need. Engage your listeners by establishing frequent eye contact with as many of them as possible. 91. Use movement to maintain attention. Five pictures are hanging on the wall. One falls. Which has your attention? Movement is an attention getter. Some movement from one spot to another will help keep the attention of your listeners. It takes a bit of self-confidence before most speakers are willing to move out from behind the lectern or podium. But if you are giving an extemporaneous speech and you are familiar with the material, you should be able to move around a bit. Your movement from one place to another provides action and gives the audience something to follow. It can help you engage your listeners as you walk around to the side or to the front of the lectern.
In so doing, you have come out from behind the barrier, and you become psychologically as well as physically closer to your listeners. Your movement can also help you emphasize a point. Move to a point on stage, stop, pause verbally, look intently at your audience, and then make your statement with great emphasis in your voice. All these elements, verbal and nonverbal, work together to emphasize your point. But it was the movement to a spot and then stopping and standing still that initially got listeners' attention. Even positive things, if overdone, can become negatives. We have all seen the pacer pacing back and forth continually like a caged animal. The continual movement soon becomes a distraction. And interferes with the listener's attention to and comprehension of the message. The key to the positive use of movement is to change. After moving a bit, stand still. When you've been standing still for a while, move again. Effective speakers know that judicious use of movement will help them capture and maintain listeners' attention, as well as display their confidence. Ninety-two. Use natural gestures to generate interest. Some individuals naturally use gestures with greater frequency than others, but most everyone does use gestures to some extent in everyday conversation. However, some people freeze and hold their bodies stiff in a public speaking situation. We have all observed the speaker who stands at the podium in a rigid stance, the toy soldier stance. Gestures aid a speaker in several ways. The use of gestures help the speaker keep the attention of the audience and generate interest in the speaker's message. Certain gestures can help the speaker clarify the message as he outlines a shape, demonstrates the magnitude, or signals his exasperation with his hands. Gestures can even be an aid to persuasion, as the speaker adds emphasis or intensity of feeling with his gestures. Who can forget the picture of Nikita Khrushchev pounding his shoe on the podium? As he spoke to the United Nations. Besides the verbal messages that are complemented, clarified, or intensified by the use of appropriate gestures, an added benefit is that the speaker appears and actually feels more at ease with the use of gestures. The non-verbal message to the audience is one of competence and authority. Ninety-three, talk with your listeners, not at them. Orators of yore spoke at people in a bombastic, elevated fashion. They most often talked at their listeners. Today's speakers, those who are both good and effective, talk with their listeners rather than at them. They see their audience and engage them as individuals. Their speeches don't sound memorized, nor do they sound as if they are read from manuscripts. The speaker conveys that he is sincere and truly concerned with each listener. How does a speaker convey his concern and talk with his listeners? It is primarily conveyed in nonverbal behaviors. The speaker who talks with his listeners uses body language and paralanguage that says, "I care about this message. I care about you. This message is an important one for you." This is conveyed primarily through eye contact, through tone of voice, and through body language. Listeners give greater credence to nonverbal messages than to verbal ones.
We know people can say anything that may be convenient for them, but we believe it is more difficult to fake the messages that are conveyed non-verbally. Believe in what you speak about and allow that conviction to show in your delivery. 94. Hide your errors. One of the differences between a novice and a pro is that if the novice makes a blunder, it is obvious to the entire audience. How? It is usually written all over the speaker's face, often with a terrified, overdone grimace. This may be further emphasized with body language, the hunched movement of the shoulders coupled with the downward motion of the head that says, Oops, I goofed. The speaker may also indicate with a verbal apology that he has committed an error. The pro, on the other hand, realizes that if he just continues as if nothing unplanned has happened, most listeners will be blissfully unaware of whatever mistake has taken place. So his enthusiastic facial expression does not change, except for whatever is appropriate to the message at the moment. His body language continues to say, I am in control. What I have to say is important for you. Unless he has committed a verbal faux pas that must be rectified in order for the information to be correct, he will continue on as if nothing has happened out of the ordinary. If he misspoke and must correct himself, he will do it in a matter-of-fact way, keeping all his nonverbal cues professional and in control. 95. Leave playthings at your seat. A nervous speaker will often play with anything he can get his hands on and never be aware he's doing it. The best rule is don't take anything up to the front of the room unless you are using it for your presentation. In most cases, your notes will be all you will use. Leave that pen at your seat and you will not aimlessly take the cap on and off or click the retractable point in and out as you speak. Men, take those coins and keys out of your pants pocket before you speak, and you won't be constantly making jangling sounds as your nervous hands play with whatever's in your pocket. Women, refrain from wearing jangling jewelry that can be both an audio and a visual distraction. A word about two things you most likely will always have with you and cannot leave at your chair. Your hands... Although they can be a real plus as your gestures complement your message and help maintain listener attention, your hands can also distract your listeners or focus their attention on the wrong things. Except for gestures, try to keep your hands at or below your waist. A speaker who continually pushes at a wisp of hair, frequently scratches his nose, or adjusts articles of clothing engages in hand motions that will distract the listener from concentrating on the message. 96. Use a microphone effectively, but use it sparingly. Why use a microphone sparingly? Because so many things can and do go wrong. It doesn't work properly. It cuts on and off. It squeals its ugly feedback at you and the audience. It either keeps you riveted behind the podium because it is stationary, or the cord trips you as you try to move around with older microphones. So don't use a microphone just because it is there. When you conducted your analysis of the situation, you found out about the room where you would be speaking. So you should already know whether you will need to use a microphone. If so, you want to check the microphone ahead of when you present your speech, both to catch any problems with the particular mic 
as well as learn how to use this one. Start by speaking into the mic. Try about four to six inches away from the mic. Then try about 12 inches from the mic. Your best distance from the mic will probably be somewhere between these two points. You may find that at 10 to 12 inches from the mic, it doesn't pick up your voice. You need to know where the mic cuts out. Don't just say a meaningless phrase, such as testing one, two, three. That will not give you a test of your speaking volume when you speak with intensity, as you will when you actually present your speech. Go through a bit of your speech so that your actual speaking volume can be checked. Turn your head as if speaking to various members of the audience in different parts of the room. See whether the mic picks up equally well from these other angles. If possible, have someone sit near the back of the room and listen to whether you can be heard clearly. If you're using a mic, you still want to project your voice. Part of your energy, part of your credibility, comes from the dynamism that projection provides to your delivery. Don't give this up and speak softly because you think the microphone will carry your voice. So project as you will in your speech as you practice using the microphone. Know how to raise and lower the mic if this applies to the microphone you'll be using. You don't want to fumble with it as you begin your speech. Remember that first impression. And it adds nothing to your credibility if you have to lean over or stand on your tiptoes throughout your speech. Know how to turn the mic on and off, and if it creates problems and becomes a distraction, turn it off. Turn your head if you have to cough. Try not to cough into the mic. And it goes without saying, don't say anything near a microphone you wouldn't want everyone to hear. We can all remember noted people who have been embarrassed to find that some private comment has just been broadcast. Learn to project your voice rather than use a microphone as a crutch, and if you do not need the microphone, don't use it. If the situation warrants the use of a microphone, hopefully you'll have a state-of-the-art, voice-activated, cordless remote unit that will enhance rather than detract from your presentation. Use it effectively. Chapter 10. Respond to your audience. Many years ago, as part of an assignment for a graduate class in rhetorical criticism, I selected a series of speeches delivered by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to analyze. The Canadian Broadcasting Corporation sponsored the Massey Lectures annually and selected a noted speaker to present the series each year. Dr. King had been the speaker the previous year. The CBC made recordings of the speeches available to me. As I listened to the first four speeches, the delivery was the familiar one of Dr. King, but when I listened to the fifth and final recording, my initial reaction was that someone must have put the wrong recording in the jacket. It did not sound at all like Dr. King's dynamic delivery. It was flat, it was dull, it was lifeless. A few days later, I talked with Judith Somerville of the CBC and mentioned to her how very different the delivery was for the fifth of Dr. King's speeches. That's interesting, she said. When the first four speeches were taped, Dr. King had a live audience. For the fifth speech, there was no live audience. The final speech was taped in a sound studio with only a microphone and a technician present. Dr. King was used to talking to live audiences. He responded to their feedback. Their responses energized his delivery. 
the audience will energize you as well if you will establish that eye contact, connect with them, and let them connect with you. 97. Communicate your enthusiasm as well as your ideas. Use audience feedback. Connect with your listeners. Not only will you engage them, but they will energize your delivery as well. If you're speaking to a group of listeners you do not know, try to arrive at the event early. Talk to a few people, if you can, before the program begins. This way, you'll have a few friendly faces to look at as you start your presentation. As you continue your speech, try to connect with other members of the audience. Eye contact is much more than looking up from one's notes and looking out at the audience. It is an attempt to connect with your listeners and engage them with you and your message. As you speak, you will probably identify a few people who are particularly expressive. They engage in a lot of positive nonverbal feedback. They smile, they nod their heads in agreement, behaviors that make you feel good. Communicate with them and use their positive responses to re-energize you. Look beyond these expressive people and try to engage additional members of your audience by connecting to their gaze and sharing your enthusiasm with them. Most will respond, and you will have widened your pool of responsive listeners. If you feel your energy wane, go back and connect again with a listener who is part of your first group of friendly faces. In every audience, there will be a few people who seem unresponsive. They sit with little or no expression on their faces. These are the faces that strike terror into the hearts of all but the boldest speakers. Why? Because we tend to view a lack of expression as a negative expression. We look at that listener with the expressionless face and assume that he's bored or uninterested. However, after the speech, the person with little expression may be the one who comes up to tell you how much he enjoyed your speech. So try not to let the lack of expression from some listeners get you down. Try to engage that person. Then look back at one of your friendly faces to buoy you up again. 98. Be yourself, your best self. You may hear an outstanding speaker and think, I wish I could speak as effortlessly and well as she does. Know that few, if any, great speakers achieve the result without effort. A seemingly effortless speech is usually the product of many hours of thoughtful preparation and practice. With preparation and practice, you too can appear to speak effortlessly. Be your best self, but be yourself. Don't try to copy someone else's speaking style. We are each unique. Speak about things that are important to you, things you believe in. Speak from your heart, and your conviction should be apparent. Practice to be the best you can be, but not to emulate someone else. Chapter 11 And in conclusion... 99. Keep a file of stories and quotations. Some of those speakers that you envy so much have a secret. They keep a file of stories or quotations that they think they might be able to use sometime in a speech. Every time they hear or read something they might be able to use, they write it down or clip it out and put it in their file. 
They scan through the file from time to time so that they remain familiar with what it contains. When they need a great way to begin or end a speech, or an example as support for one of their main points, they go to their file. How do they know what stories they will need for speeches they may give in the future? They don't. But they can anticipate many of the kinds of topics they may be asked to present. You can anticipate, too. And if you save a clipping you never use, no harm is done. It is always better to have too much material rather than too little. 100. Seek and accept opportunities to speak. Nervous about getting up to speak to an audience, many people avoid speaking situations whenever possible or decline invitations to present a speech. This only perpetuates the fear and doesn't give one the opportunity to grow as a speaker. The two things that will be most helpful to a speaker who wishes to combat nervousness are first, to be thoroughly prepared for each speech one presents, and second, to gain the experience of giving many speeches. With each successful presentation, the speaker gains experience and confidence. So seek opportunities and accept invitations to speak. Each speaking situation is an opportunity for you to grow as a speechmaker. As you gain experience, you will gain confidence, and you will better be able to handle yourself in front of an audience. 101. Practice makes perfect. An adage gone wrong. You have all heard the adage, Practice makes perfect. Like so many things, if we hear it often enough, we tend to believe it. But in this case, the adage is wrong. The truth is, practice makes permanent. Practice tends to reinforce a behavior, but practice by itself does not correct inappropriate behaviors. To judge whether we are reinforcing good or bad behaviors, it is useful to have honest feedback from people with expertise in the area being judged. You may enroll in a public speaking class or seminar to review the basics, polish your speaking skills, and receive useful criticism. But chances are you will need to continue to present speeches over a period of several weeks or months in order to gain the experience and confidence that will help you lessen the symptoms of nervousness, those darn butterflies or the wobbly knees. Consider joining one of the many Toastmasters groups that are in communities across the country. Toastmasters, which is comprised of both men and women, provides a non-threatening opportunity to gain experience presenting speeches, and you will receive feedback from members as well. You can locate the Toastmasters groups in your area by checking their website at www.toastmasters.com or call 714-857-8255. Practice these 101 secrets, and you can construct a good speech as well as formulate an effective speech. Sharpen your delivery and present your speech with dynamism, and you can be a successful, effective speaker. Develop your speaking skills, and you develop the power to communicate your ideas and your enthusiasm to promote yourself, your business, and your passions. You can achieve the power to present your ideas clearly, dynamically, and convincingly, whatever the situation. This is real power, 
This is the power of an effective speaker, and this power is yours to develop and use. Daniel Webster once said, If all my talents and powers were to be taken from me by some inscrutable providence, and I had my choice of keeping but one, I would unhesitatingly ask to be allowed to keep the power of speaking, for through it I would quickly recover all the rest. We hope you enjoyed listening to 101 Secrets of Highly Effective Speakers. This has been a Listen and Live audio production. To receive a complete catalog of other fine audiobooks, please call 1-800-653-9400. If you enjoyed this audiobook, don't miss our latest release, the 250 job interview questions you'll most likely be asked, and the answers that will get you hired. Too many job seekers jump right into a full-scale job search without much advanced preparation other than putting together a resume. A serious mistake. Although your resume may get you job interviews, to win job offers, you must prepare yourself further. There are 12 types of information recruiters seek in a typical job interview. Knowing what these points are and being able to discuss readily how each point relates to you will make you better prepared and more in control of the interviewing process. Think of your 12 themes as sales messages. Each is designed to showcase your best skills and qualifications. Together, they make up a 12-point strategy that will enable you to sell your qualifications in virtually any interview situation.